Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Wow! Hello and welcome to the Abroad Japan podcast, probably the best way of learning about life in Japan without actually being in Japan. I'm your host, Chris Broad, and we're joined, as always, by England's top Japan enthusiast, Mr. Pete Donaldson. Pete, <coughs> how you doing? <laughs> Clear your throat, Chris Broad. I am in fine fettle. I have just been in the Korean supermarket. I bought some Ooh. weird kind of bulgogi uh, sushi that um, I imagine anybody from Korea or Japan might lose their goddamn minds this bit like making some kind of horrible sushi concoction uh, but I am enjoying one of my favorite Korean um, uh, soft drinks oh what we got it's uh, Gua, the uh, sweet cinnamon punch <laughs> uh, it's basically just rice and cinnamon in a glass and it is bloody delicious let me tell Your you the pronunciation of Korean mm. is has just made my day ah Oh, I think that's where's the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Good God, God. he massacred the South Korean language. One minute Thank podcast. you. Thank you, Korea, for that delicious rice punch. <laughs> Very oh, nice. Man. I have to say, Korean food is about as good as Asian cuisine comes, right? It's so good. Mm. How do they do it, Pete? <laughs> they barbecue, they cover it in a sauce and then they put it over a hot stone and it cooks and then you put it in your mouth and you go, I hate animals. <laughs> oh, God. Well, yeah, the barbecue, there's so many barbecues. You've been to Seoul, right? You walk down the street in mm. South Korea, every street there's like four or five barbecue restaurants at every turn and they sell reasonably priced meat, good quality meat, and the the barbecues mm. are just amazing. I've only been to Seoul once and they've mastered, for a week. And it was they, they, they've mastered the fried chicken as well. They have, yeah. Um, mm. Dare I say, the fried chicken of South Korea might be better than Japan. It's more flavourful and Definitely. spicy and sweet. Yep, I agree. Not it scared of a bit of spice and blue. At the same time, I find South Korean food isn't as consistent as Japanese food. Like, the highs of Korean cuisine are very high, but the lows were also quite low. I had a sausage dish, <laughs> and it was like the worst thing I put in my mouth. I ordered, It just said, like, South Korean sausage. And I was like, oh, that, that's going to be good, isn't it? And it wasn't. It was like... Uh, somebody took a mouldy sausage, stuck it in a freezer, pulled it out the freezer <laughs> while it was still hard, and sprinkled it with kimchi and disappointment. And that was <laughs> even now I remember that. That was the like the thing of the trip I remember the most is putting that sausage in my mouth and having that wave of instant regret. Oh, an horrible thing. We've all had a regretful sausage on holiday experience. Uh, <laughs> we, we all know that, Chris. We've all had one. Um, yeah, I, I agree. And, and um, the best the best sort of Korean sort of dish, and you, you see it every now and again, 
Are these kind of like pasta sausages? I've spoken about this before, as I preface all of my stories with. Um, these little sort of pasta sausages, uh, sort of like pasta thick sausages. noodles that are like the size of like, you know, those little, um, those little, you know, you used to get like baked beans and bacon and sausage in a can. Do you remember oh, those yeah. things? Horrible. Was, same cool. sort of size as those little mini, mini chipolatas, those mini kind of like almost dissolvy sausages. They're disgusting without skins. Mm. And, um, they're like pasta rob noodles or some kind of wheat anyway. And, uh, it's in this kind of, they're usually served in like carrier bags, basically, like kind of sanitary carrier bags. Um, <laughs> but with this hot tomato sauce on it. And it's so delicious. It's so Morris. You just want to eat more and more of these really thick noodles, these thick noodly sausages. But what would it do to your health? Like, that is the quickest way to destroy your health, surely. <laughs> I don't know. I just remember being in, probably was Seoul, uh, and my mate had, I came back with two little carrier bags full of hot tomato sausages and cocktail sticks to eat them with. Uh, I'm sure somebody knows what they're called. <laughs> You'll probably get a million emails just about that particular subject. But he came back and he was like, Pete, I swear I've just been to this pet shop and there was this like hedgehog, but I had really long legs. And when I looked what? at it, the man hid it, like covered it up with a, with a, um, with like a, a covering, like a little blanket, um, like he'd seen a forbidden animal. So th- th- oh that was very much my experience of eating these hot noodly sausages that my friend Mark, who does the excellent uh, wrestling podcast, wrestle me with me. Uh, he, yeah, he encountered this, um, hedgehog with very long legs. <laughs> <laughs> a hedgehog with very long legs and a hot tomato yeah. sausage dish. I love the way that's probably got a really sophisticated name to it. Like, <laughs> and you've just got a hot tomato sausage dish. And also the Erotic Museum in the middle of summer oh, as God. well. The, the Museum of Erotica. Delicious. What a lovely you have, experience. You've absolutely nailed the itinerary for a night out in Seoul. A day, a day trip to Seoul, <laughs> haven't you? Just get that done. Definitely. Dee Guide of South Korea. <laughs> Crappy guide. <laughs> All the cuisine. And mysterious hedgehog creatures. We've got a story this week, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, from Johnny. I don't ask Johnny. Johnny. Uh, hi, Chris and Pete. <laughs> and the, the headline of this this story is Making Friends with the Yakuza. So it's an enticing and exciting intro. Hi, Chris and Pete. My name's Johnny, and I've been a subscriber of the channel ever since the video Don't Get Fat in Japan. Um, I remember that video. 2016, <laughs> I made a video about how I got bullied when I was fat, when I was a teacher. Go and watch that. It's a good episode. Quite depressing. <laughs> um, Johnny says, I've been to Japan twice and both trips could probably be turned into a movie. One night while I was out in Kabukicho in Shinjuku a couple of years back, I unfortunately became the victim of a spiked drink after meeting a suspiciously friendly man. Suspiciously friendly man. To put it vaguely, <laughs> I ended up in a place closed off from society, shared with some unsavory individuals. One of the guys in there was a hardened elderly man who you could tell right away was not someone to mess with and was long overdue a seven-star cigarette. I noticed that after his first day, he was moved into a private space far away from the rest of us. Um, one day, while in, the shared ba- while in the shared bathing room, a man with tattoos covering his entire back rose up as he was about to leave. He towered over everyone else. He must have been at least 180 centimetres tall. He turned around and I realised it was the same man as before. The tattoos added more to my suspicions of him being a Yakuza member, who I'll refer to now as Yakuza Man going forward. Skip forward to a few weeks later, the Yakuza Man was moved into a room with others and a younger man started to trouble him. Let's just say it didn't end well for the younger man and Yakuza Man got moved back to his secluded room. This only built up more terror in me, having to be stuck in the same building as him. Fast forward a few weeks again and to my terror, I end up 
stuck right next to him and he strikes up a conversation with me in Japanese. I don't speak much Japanese, so I had trouble understanding him. I'm Asian, but I assumed he knew I was a foreigner because of my tan skin. I thought he'd realised that uh, I didn't speak Japanese and wouldn't push for a response. I was sorely mistaken. He kept pushing. I realised he must have taken my silence as disrespect, so I panicked and all of a sudden his expression changed from slightly annoyed to angry. If I remember correctly, he followed up with, why aren't you speaking uh, Japanese? To which I responded, I'm a foreigner, I can't speak Japanese. Luckily, after that, he instantly lightened up and started speaking English. Sorry, I thought you were Japanese, he said. <laughs> I don't know why he sounded British. We went on to have a conversation and he <laughs> confirmed he was a former Yakuza and that's when I found out his age and why he was there. After we exchanged friendly greetings, whenever we crossed paths during my time there, it, we we had a good chat. A few years have passed since then. I'm back home now. I have to say that was one of the best times of my life. It quickly turned into the worst time overnight. I've learned my lesson. I spent a long time there regretting my mistakes for sure. I actually plan on getting a tattoo to remind me never to make those mistakes again, as it was definitely a life-changing, eye-opening experience. Best wishes, guys. Johnny from who knows where. It's a secret. Oh, what on earth and- is going on there, Pete? <laughs> Did he go to prison? And it's very vague. I think it's uh, yeah, very vague about where he where he was, why he was there for such a long time. Um, I mean, look, I'm just happy that they um, married and been married for 15 years, uh, Johnny and the Yakuza man. <laughs> <laughs> it's an adorable story. <laughs> he didn't speak any uh, Japanese. The guy thought that guy was Japanese. It is an adorable uh, love story, <laughs> real Jackie we- Band stuff. He, after Johnny sent this email, um, I, I have to say his name's not actually Johnny. He um, he sent another follow it, a follow up email redacting, asking mm. us to redact a lot of information. His name's actually oh. Stephen. He's from Spain, but um, <laughs> I like it's it's such a bizarre story. It feels like a dream. It feels like he got drunk and had a dream, and the dream mm. felt like it took place over several weeks, just because it's sort of <laughs> very light on key details. But well, I'm at least well, at least he sort prison? of understood enough Japanese to sort of oh what oh that makes sense yeah maybe because he kind of uh, says like yeah. there was a man that came in and he got put in a private space and then he got Away closed off he, right. he mixed with people then he messed up and then he went back into solitary confinement it must be prison it's not like a, yeah. a yak is a share house in kabuki cho is it where you just <laughs> in the yak is a share house could just like, be a, a, a tokyo hands it could have, they could have both been working in tokyo hands or something i don't know in the back section very bizarre. i don't know <laughs> but i'm gonna see him he's in prison and he, he he got out and he lived happily ever after do you know what are your theories ladies and gentlemen let us know mm. send in your theories and maybe Johnny will give us some some bloody answers in a a future email. (laughs) I want them. Now, this week we had some news here in Japan that uh, there is uh, an an air of desperation as Japan wrestles with a looming royal succession crisis. I don't know how much you know about the royal family in Japan, Pete. I... I mean, I, I know we've talked about it on and off over the years, but they've got a problem arising um, in the near future. Basically, the successor, so the current emperor is Emperor Naruhito, uh, who succeeded his father two years ago, uh, Emperor Akihito. Uh, but he's only got one child, and it's 19-year-old Princess Aiko. Now, as far as I understand it, under the 1947 imperial household law, no female member of the family can become a reigning monarch. Um, so there's a problem they're debating at the moment. Should they let a woman become the empress, basically, of Japan? Um, and if not, they've got a real situation. They've got a sort of a crisis of succession on their hands because uh, 
Otherwise, you know, this 2,600-year-old dynasty will face an existential crisis. Also, seven the, the seven members of the imperial family who are below 40 are all women. So it's either mm. they've got to accept that the, the next reigning monarch is going to be a girl, or I don't know what they're going to do. Pete Donaldson in charge. <laughs> Bring in Pete Donaldson. What's going on? Yeah. What do you think? I, I, I mean, you, you sort of think about like a, a royal family. Like obviously uh, the emperor and, and, and that whole situation is kind of wedded to a very outdated and old school mm, kind mm. of I, thinking of it. Would they tank their entire existence <laughs> rather than let a woman be, oh, I don't know. be on the throne? I wouldn't put it past would they just tank the whole thing? Yeah, I, I wouldn't put it past the vet. If I was going to bet on anything, I'd just bet on them just being no emperors anymore because um, they just can't uh, see fit to put a woman in that particular well, it role. It comes it's down ridiculous. to the government, right? The government have to make the decision. And, it's, you know, if you've seen right. any photo of all the Japanese politicians, it's like an endless sea of 60 to 70-year-old men with a woman in there, one in like 100 mm. people. It's mm. not good. So, But I guess they don't have much choice. No. I think in, in Japan, the UK, in Japan, they do respect the UK monarchy um, and they've seen Queen Elizabeth and the second, and she's pretty popular. And apparently four out of five people would support mm. the idea of a woman being the sort of reigning empress of Japan. So I think they've got no choice. I think they're going to do it. Um, but I, I don't think, I think a lot of people don't really know much about the, the Royal family um, outside of Japan. It's kind of kept low key, isn't it? Like I don't, we haven't really talked about it much in the past, as far as I can recall, apart from when they switched over, when um, no, Emperor think, Akihito uh, let, let, Naruhito, his son, succeed him two years ago. Do you remember any time we've discussed hmm. it? I mean, look, that, I mean that, that was very much. <laughs> I remember us discussing the succession. I remember that that kind of quite clearly. But uh, yeah, they don't get a lot of um, prestige. They they, they, hmm. they don't really have veto on anything. They don't really. Um, obviously, I mean, the last big story was probably you know when, when they surrender when when he was. Remember the story of. Um, they recorded the emperor surrendering and uh, carved it onto oh, yeah. uh, a load of uh, a load of wax not wax and there's a load of uh, LPs, a lot of records, vinyl, and uh, the um, obviously the, the the head of think of the army um, invaded one of the palaces trying to look for this uh, recording of the emperor, um, and he and he it was quite interesting to sort of hear the way that the emperor and even um, Naruhito as well, uh, who succeeded his father two years ago, they, they've got a very unique way of speaking like, and they speak like mm. no one else in the same way that probably the queen uh, and her family speak like no one else really in modern society. Mm. <laughs> it's archaic, elite. Mm. I remember, yeah, when World War II ended and the emperor declared that Japan was sort of bowing out and, and sort mm. of uh, letting the allies win basically. And uh, what, what hell's the word, What's the word I'm looking for? When you when you lose a war, admit defeat. You admit uh, defeat. There we go. Draw. Uh, yeah. He, 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 yeah, he admitted defeat, but um, sort of said Japan's lost the war. But he worded it in a very old-fashioned Japanese style of speech, and apparently most of the Japanese mm. populace tuning in, you know, in uh, 1945, didn't really they didn't understand. know that the emperor had basically said, "Yeah, we've lost. That's it. Game over." They, he didn't right, sort okay, of really yeah. say that, and a lot of people were confused because they didn't. They'd never like really heard his voice much, and so they wouldn't they weren't really sure mm. what he was saying. 
Um, but these but these recordings were so important that you know obviously they put them onto these um, onto these records and uh, the army stormed the, the palace looking for these records and I think one survived obviously one survived because it got played out on the radio and that's what the people heard um, but the the, these, the the recording of the emperor's voice was so valuable um, that they stormed uh, official government buildings trying to look for these uh, vinyl recordings of the emperor uh, emperor um, conceding defeat and and and. And if they'd have found them, huh. you know, the war could have gone on for longer. It was a real sort of tipping point, I think, in 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 world uh, in the world war. Absolutely, because uh, some of the folks in charge really didn't want to call it a, call it an end to the to World War Two, right? They were having a lovely time. No, they didn't. <laughs> but very interesting stuff, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. I do think they haven't got much choice, but uh, I don't know. Japanese government has a track record for making some interesting terrible decisions <laughs> yeah terrible decisions the key um the fact the olympics are still going on even though 80 percent of the people now i think 60 to 70 percent right don't want it to happen but it's happening um <laughs> second news of the week tokyo's angriest ghost gets a brand new grave for his millennium old severed head um a samurai tida wow. masakado um, did not have a peaceful life. He's a 10th century samurai. He went to war with his uncle over a woman and the land they both coveted. Um, and he ended up losing, dying, and uh, he was beheaded. But uh, apparently after he was beheaded and buried in central Tokyo, a thousand years after his death, in 19... Is his, uh, a thousand years after his death, sorry, in, in 940, uh, he's, he's still the angriest spirit in Japan. Apparently the building above where he's buried 14 people have died in the span of five years in this government building on the same plot oh, of wow. land um and uh, this was in the 1920s when they all passed away so there's kind of a lot of spiritual sort of wonder around this character but uh the renovation work's done i think when they wanted to move his grave a lot of people worried they were gonna invoke his wrath this thousand year old dead samurai um, and in fact, apparently when they did move his grave, there was an earthquake that day in Ibaraki, na- nearby neighbouring Ibaraki. So they speculated it was yeah. his ghost or whatever. But he's now, the re- <laughs> renovation work's now done and he's a brand new grave down in Tokyo in a very expensive, rich area, Otomachi, where all the big banks are based and you can go and pay him a visit. Um, so <laughs> there you go. What a weird new story. Well, like- it is always yeah, sorry. I just like the fact that it's like uh, his head is in one place, and I presume his his body is in another place. I mean, like just put him together. He's probably angry because his head is separated from his body. Put them together. That's right. His head's buried in central Tokyo in Otomachi, and his body's in Ibaraki. And when they moved the head, there was an earthquake in Ibaraki where his body is. So, <sighs> Good I don't, God, I don't believe in ghosts or the paranormal. <laughs> DAP. Are you a man of the planet? No, I, no I've, uh, I, I think the world's spooky enough, to be quite frank. There's so many spooky uh, happenstances anywhere. <laughs> Such as? Get a coke somewhere, uh, No, because if what if I say, like, a, 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 <laughs> uh, like, what if I invoke the wrath of a ghost or a, or a ghoul? Massacado's coming for you. Massacado. <laughs> that sounds like a sounds like massacre, doesn't it? Massacado. Yeah. Yeah, sounds he's like the, the Spanish word massacres. for massacre, isn't it? Massacre. <laughs> oh, I need to get to work on my Spanish. We'll be back in a minute after mm. this quick break. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. 
Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com This week at Sukarnov. On the latest episode of Between the Lines with Melissa Reddy, Melissa speaks to footballer Lee Nicol, who in 2019 was hacked and had intimate footage leaked online. Lee opens up about the impact it had on her and how she came back from it. The first mental impact, it was sheer shock. It was panic attacks. It was shame. It was guilt. I think I felt every single sense of emotion. It felt a little bit like grief, as if I had lost someone but hadn't lost someone. The only person I think I'd lost was myself. Meanwhile, on the latest On the Continent on Football Ramble Presents, Dotton, Andy and Miguel Delaney unpack everything surrounding the Super League and how it has changed football forever. When you watch a Champions League game, when you watch, say, Manchester United in Champions League, Real Madrid in Champions League, it's not just a match. It's that every single minute of the match is imbued with seven decades of history. The Super League, which has none of that. I was getting quite sad for that, that we were going to lose this and have to face this monstrosity. All that and a whole lot more at Sikhanov. And we're back to the fax machine. What have we got in the fax machine this week, Mr. Donaldson? We got a message from Ailton or Ailton. Uh, what is your world cuisines tier list? How did Japan in 50 or so years snap a position right beside Italy and France? What is their secret? Is it MSG? Uh, I am a cook <laughs> and I love your content about the food there. They have the kind of, uh, they have a kind of Anthony Bourdain vibe, which I love. I would surely love uh, to see you talking and showing us the amazing parts unknown for the rest of the world about food there. Uh, besides horn larvae, uh, larvae and uh, also fried chicken, of course. I mean, you do talk about food quite a lot. I don't wish to, uh, uh, I don't wish to belittle your uh, your um, performances on this podcast, but you do talk about fo- a food a, a fair whack. I don't. It's because I like it, Pete. I think we've as we've established <laughs> over the years. I'm a, I'm a man of food. I'm no Anthony Bourdain because Anthony Bourdain was critical. I basically just turn up and eat everything and then leave my videos. <laughs> um, but yeah, my tier list. I thought this through. I think my favourite national cuisine would be Italian food. I just that's just so mm. good, isn't it? Everything about Italian food is brilliant. Too many courses. Too many courses. You well, have like French your, cuisine, you have a surely. pasta course. You have food. No, like I, I went to um, Italy well, went to right, last, yeah. uh, last year, and it's just like you have your starter, you have a glass of prosecco, and then you have another glass of prosecco, and then you have another <laughs> glass of prosecco, and then you have uh, your kind of pre-dinner, and then there's dinner, and that's always pasta, and you've always overindulged on the bread and the meat and stuff like that. It's oh, mate. And if I'm going to be waiting on for a tiramisu, it's not happening, mate. I'm full. <laughs> I remember. Well, I remember. I was in Italy uh, about three years ago, and I was there for just two weeks. And I honestly, I put on, I think, six kilograms in like two weeks because I did do that <laughs> eight course meal every night, and uh, no regrets. It was it was amazing. I reckon <laughs> Italian food number one, Spanish food number two, French number three. The cheese, the cheese wins it. Then at number four, the Japanese, and then maybe number five, Korean or Taiwanese. They're both pretty damn mm. good. It's a tough one. British cuisine, does that does that factor into the TLSP, British British food? I don't know. I mean, you, I don't think you can really count places like Russia or the US because they're just so bloody big and there's so much variation, but mm. there's nothing better than a good bit of Southern food. Uh, like your, your, your barbecue and your, oh, like uh, New Orleans kind of um, 
uh, what they mm. called not pit boy that was the little thing you put on your arm in fallout 3 uh, what what? poor boys what? i love a poor boy <laughs> pit boy remember pit boys? i do remember it i do <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Japanese cuisine—it really kind of reinvented itself. If you look at most Japanese dishes, they sort of came to prominence in the 20th century. You know, takoyaki or yakitori or cup noodles or even sushi. While it existed back in the 1900s, sushi as we know it today really took off. I think in the early 20th century, it used to be this kind of really horrible type of fish that was like marinated in what can only be described as crap and just left in a in a box for like a week. It's fermented like sushi. They still do it in um, areas of Kyoto and whatnot, but don't do it to yourself. But like, yeah, a lot of Japanese food, it really did emerge in the post-war era. But I think the reason Japanese cuisine is so good, it's just the chefs, right? They are so mm. good at doing one thing. Like in Japan, the restaurants that get the bad reviews are the ones that try to do everything at once. Even an right. izakaya sort of pub, They'll specialise in certain things like yakitori or sushi or fish. You know, they won't try and be a jack of all trades, and they respect mm. that in Japan. They have a, a chef that's trained at one preparing one food. Maybe it's like tonkatsu, uh, for deep fried pork. If you watch, mm. there's a really good YouTube channel called Eater, uh, which is probably my favourite food channel, and they have a really great series <laughs> called uh, Omakase Chef's Recommendation, and mm. uh, I highly recommend checking it out. But they just go to restaurants and talk to chefs and. It's just a story you hear and over, over and over. Like a chef takes an interest in a certain dish and then he gets very good at it, masters that dish, and then that's it really. He doesn't choose any other different dishes or different foods. He just gets yeah. really great at that specific one. You know, Right, okay. I'm going to barbecue some eel and I'm going to do that until I die. <laughs> you choose one thing and you just do it. Yeah, Can't yeah go wrong. I, I agree. I'm, I've, I've just eaten, so I'm fine. But if I hadn't eaten before the podcast started to record, uh, I would be very hungry right now. The um, have you know have you heard that um, the izakaya, the common izakaya, is uh, going out of vogue a little bit? There's a lot of um, kind of central city, kind of Tokyo, Osaka, uh, izakaya is closing down because people are working from home. You don't get as many salarymen. There's not as much foot traffic. Uh, obviously, where did you hear that? Uh, I'm not surprised COVID. though. Like a lot of yeah. a lot of big cities in Japan have seen like a, a huge downturn in business. And, mm. you know, I think Tokyo, I, I read, had more restaurants and bars per capita than any other city in Japan and any other city mm. in the world. And you often walk past a building with like 20 restaurants in or something. You think, how the hell are they all in operation? And mm. I do think, yeah, COVID is going to absolutely destroy the hospitality industry in Japan. We're going to see a big drop in um, in business in restaurants and whatnot. And even now, Tokyo is still um, in an emergency situation, unfortunately. But yeah, I think it'll be a real tragedy. I think that's what makes one of the highlights of Japan. You know, you're never short of amazing mm. restaurants, especially izakaya pubs. And they're my favourite yeah. kind of place to go. I agree. But let's hope they bounce back. We've got one here from Bilal from London. Hi, Chris and Pete. I hope you guys are doing well. Long-time subscriber and listener here. My question today is about kawaii, kawaii stuff in Japan, cute <laughs> stuff. When I was traveling in November 2019, I took an man themed train from Okayama to Matsuyama, and everyone else beside me uh, seemed completely blasé about the train's kawaii cute features. Do you think the Japanese are becoming different to or slightly dislike uh, cute stuff because they're everywhere in Japan, says Bilal from London? Ampan Man, the little... I don't even know what Ampan Man is. He's the character in Journey Across yeah. Japan. If you've ever seen Journey Across Japan, he's the one we get the challenges from. He's like a robot from the 1950s. 
is or like a superhero. Right? Is is he a raw? Oh, right. Okay. I thought he was like a sort of Mighty Mouse kind of super robot, but he's, he is everywhere. Even I think people from the West. I think kids from the seventies even got a little bit of uh, Ampan Man. I think my dad remembers Ampan Man from uh, really from, from back in the day. But yeah, I, I, I'm fairly certain that was the case. But um, yeah, I I, I think. Um, when you're on the trains and the tubes and stuff, you obviously have a lot of um, sort of video screens and stuff showing the crazy adverts of the day from, you know, Docomo. Uh, Docomo's mascots are those little furry things, aren't they? Um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but they, they do these incredibly kind of creative uh, adverts. And I'm just like absolutely transfixed <laughs> watching these kind of kawaii, sort of weird and wonderful uh, adverts and stuff with like little characters and stuff. And, and nobody seems to be watching them apart from me. I'm blown away. I'm like, this is incredible incredible You're uh, and everyone viewer. is just you know i'm the one viewer i'm the only one sort of taking on this is incredible <laughs> i think i think you know i've said in this podcast before like a lot of japanese towns look the same they just look the same mm. they've got the same stores there's not much character in a lot of ways because they just they're, the buildings get knocked down so often so but what they do do is they've tried to inject a sense of character and identity into each place in japan whether it's the local cuisine having like a local food mebutsu as it's known in japanese or having like a character or it's a mascot or a weird kawaii cultural thing i think the thing <laughs> that i've always remember is tamacham the cat train in wakayama did we ever talk about this i remember i did a cat documentary a few years ago right and mm. one of the coolest things in that documentary cat nation was there's a train in wakayama and they've just got a cat and they put a hat on it and they called the cat tama and then they just built a train <laughs> that looks like a cat and it's it's actually kind of trendy <laughs> and cool but like you see this over and over and i think it's quite a nice thing and i think umpad man's such an iconic character uh, from the mm. 1970s he's so ingrained in japanese culture that it's quite a nice character to build a train around isn't it <laughs> it's just like a uh like japan's like it's kind of it's uh you know like instagram filters are quite sort of like you you sort mm. of have a giggle with them and then you just dispose of them you don't really sort of think of them oh look that that this instagram filters made or snapchat filters made my face look like a horse um it's a little <laughs> bit like that really they, they do they use somewhat they they come up with a character use it for a bit and then go oh we'll, we'll think of something else later on and, and people sort of it's quite disposable i would say there's very few who have actually kind of broken through like the uh like the nhk um sonso kun i can't remember is it domokun domokun and uh also obviously the the, the bear um fr- from down in kyushu as well ah kumon yeah kumon kumon yeah that we talk, yeah. To talk about quite a lot it's an easy way to get like free pr and make a lot mm. of money i think and uh mm. we talked about this episode two weeks ago i think remember the squid the hundred thousand yes. dollar squid in uh noto in ishikawa prefecture mm. Go and listen to that. Um, that was uh, an interesting move, but I guess they see it as money well spent. Create a character, get the people coming. Yeah, I mean, well, be, I've told you, like vloggers will be up and down, sort of uh, we'll the, the Shinkansen trying to film themselves. We ought to and I'll be there soon to get to get a video <laughs> exactly. of the octopus, the squid. We'll be there. <laughs> we well, got one from Chris, oh, Chris B from America. Over to you, Pete. Oh. It's a big place, plenty of Chris's, but Chris B has got in touch with the show. <laughs> hey, Chris and Pete, just want to uh, thank you guys for doing such a great job with the podcast for so long. I'm still not caught up yet, so this may be a bit of a time capsule if it's included. The fax machine question uh, from me is, what two short-term goals and one long-term goal do you have for the channel and your podcasts moving forward? Thanks again to you both. Uh, enjoy the podcast. Look forward to them every week, and it brightens up my work day. Chris B wants to know, Chris, what are your two short-term goals and what's your one long-term goal? 
Bloody hell. My two short-term goals. Number one, finish <laughs> Journey Across Japan 3 and get it uploaded. That's mm. a massive undertaking. Um, second short-term goal. I'm working on a video at the moment about why not to move to Japan, why not to live in Japan. Um, it's a mm. video that will probably get a lot of people angry because the, the Abroad in Japan channel has 200 videos and most of those videos are, Japan's brilliant, move here now, it's great. And I mm. feel like the time has come to sort of counter that and uh, – I feel like if you get a, I don't know, I feel like I need to be blunt about a few things, you know. If I've, I've done a, a great job promoting Japan, I think the Abroad Japan channel is like the ultimate banner poster for Japan. <laughs> but I also feel that it's not that easy to move here and I need to be a bit blunt about a few things. So that's the two short term. One long term is make a film, like make an actual short film or a mockumentary. Mm. I think a short film would be tricky because it's quite difficult to write fiction and and to make a film you need like a lot of team you need like a person who lighting and sound and visual effects and then you need actors and cinematographers and clothes and costumes so it's quite a complicated process but it's something i want to do for years now so i'm going to do it before the year's out trust me i promise um or a mockumentary <laughs> in which case that'll be really easy to do because that'll just be what i do now but it'll be scripted what about you Pete? what you got lined up uh, well, as discussed on the previous show, I uh, did do my driving test oh, yesterday. Oh, God, yeah. How did it go? Shit, I forgot <sighs> about that. <sighs> fucked it. <laughs> Absolutely Literally. fucked it. Absolutely fucked it. Yeah. I did not do a six-point check when reversing slowly down the road. Uh, I did five and didn't look over my right shoulder. So, <laughs> feel me for that one. Uh, and uh, also switching lanes. I looked while I was moving, but not before. Oh, Pete. Um, so yeah, I, it, it. Yesterday, I was gutted about it beyond belief. Today, I'm just angry with myself. I am not a big game player. I know that I've got to look in all of the mirrors. I know I've got to do all of my checks. I realise this, and I was good at it. I was good at looking all of my mirrors. I was constantly looking at mirrors. But the thing is, on the day, I just lost my mind a little bit. I was, uh, I hadn't slept because I was so nervous. I you were that nervous? I coffee. I was, yeah, I get so nervous and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm just not a big game player. But next time, it's just, it's fear of the unknown a little bit. So next time, I'll be uh, a little better, I think. I'll be a little bit more relaxed and a little bit more thoughtful about it. I was just absolutely bricking it. But next time... The, the, the problem is, the only annoying thing is that I mm. can't, I won't be able to get a booking for a very long time. It may be as late as October. No, so, that long. Yeah, there's a massive backlog because oh, obviously man. they couldn't do tests during uh, during COVID and lockdown. And so, yeah, I, look, it's not Damn important. It. I don't think the planet really needs one more car on the road. But uh, I was, uh, uh, just after my 40th birthday, I was really looking forward to giving it my, my best college try. But my best college try wasn't good enough. <laughs> oh, man. How was the, um, we talked about, the, the the person doing the test right the inst- whatever the test examiner how ruthless they can be I got like Dave the evil man when I did my test and I failed even though I was <laughs> relatively good up until I drove on the curb but <laughs> how did you get are they good uh, I got fishing. a nice blog I mean we we chatted so much right we chatted so much uh, I knew that he went to Newcastle once just for a meal I <laughs> found out that his daughters are both actors and they go for like self tapes quite a lot and they're currently working in children's television wow. um, all kinds of stuff he's not been to a restaurant yet uh, after lockdown he's, he's going to take his wife out this weekend so I chatted and chatted and chatted I thought we had a lovely rapport but uh, yeah after that it was uh, did you know yeah, you he, failed he, he like during me. the like while you were no, driving no because 
um, you know what? I think I know where I did it, and uh, I was a little unprepared for that for that part of St Albans. But everything that I was really worried about, the really complicated um, kind of Colney roundabout that has like five exits and the St Albans roundabout that has like six. It's it's it's. I was really sort of prepared for those. I was really prepared, but also very worried about that. Nailed them. Absolutely nailed them. Remember which part to go in. I remembered all of the all of the bits and bobs, but I just. Um, yeah, I, d- I just fell at the final hurdle. But I'll be back, Chris. You'll be back. I'll be back. <laughs> I believe in you. I, maybe it's a good thing. Thanks, in some respects, as I said, yeah. a lot of my friends that passed the first time, they did have crashes. And I've I've been I've failed my first time, passed the second. I've never had a crash to date. Touch fucking wood. Mm. Um, and hopefully it'll be the same. <laughs> you know, hopefully it'll be all right when you yeah. do eventually pass. But damn, that's but, annoying. Uh, I, I must say thank you to everyone who uh, from the Iran Japan uh, multiverse. Um, I just uh, <laughs> want to say thanks to everyone on, on the morning of the test. They remembered that I was taking my test on a Monday, and they and they said, oh, "Good wow. luck, Pete." And that part of the pressure on it's their fault. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> oh man, well there's our long term goals. One of us wants to make a film; the other just wants mm. the freedom to drive around. Be a real boy. We'll make it happen. <laughs> Keep the stories, questions, comments coming in to broadjapanpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back in the next few days for the next podcast this week. But for now, guys, no matter where you might be, out there in the big wide world, enjoy the rest of your week. We'll see you shortly. Bye for now. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com